is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working uh, back in Connecticut, uh, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk on Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. What a day Monday was, Memorial Day, a day to remember all those in the armed services who sacrificed. And it also marked the return of Liam Hendricks, the closer for the, the Chicago White Sox, who during the course of the offseason was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, this was sent out by the White Sox Sunday evening on their social media page as they prepared for the activation of Hendricks. Give a listen. We all love you. Can't wait to have you back in the clubhouse. Can't wait to have you back closing games for us. Your fight's been truly admirable, and we're just uh, glad to have you back and getting on the bump for us. We're so excited to have you back, what you mean to this team, the bullpen, the clubhouse. Somehow, some way, you stayed positive the entire time. I find that extremely inspirational. Fans have missed you. The bullpen's missed you. All the coaches have missed you. Welcome back. Your journey's been an inspiration. Welcome back, Liam. Welcome back, Liam. Welcome back, Liam. Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, and others uh, chiming in there. Everyone excited about Hendricks' return, not only because of the, you know, the journey that he's had this year, but also the type of person that he is. Here was the sound of Liam Hendricks when he came into the game on Monday for the White Sox. Let us see if indeed that phone call that he's been waiting for for months upon months has come. He's got the game face on. You would think he's coming in. One drink of water, two drinks of water, and one ball of emotion. A healthy one at that coming out. Yeah, so Jason Benetti, our friend, Steve Stone, doing a great job describing that moment. You hear the crowd roar as he comes into the game. White Sox lose this game, but it was a big night for that franchise. Here was Hendricks speaking after the game. Um, I think getting out there kind of – I did take a minute and step and look around the crowd and just like soak it all in a little bit better than I had in Gwinnett that time. Uh, So getting out there and doing it that way was was great. but, yeah, it was a little bit easy to get those competitive juices flowing a little bit more. Um, I kept the first ball that I threw. I think it was something to, a little bit of a keepsake. I'd prefer to have it than, and not need it than need it and want it and not have it. So, uh, yeah, other than that, it was it was a little bit easy to get out there and then got a little mad once I gave up a runner and then kind of didn't didn't make the pitches where I needed to. But, unfortunately, it is what it is. And, uh I look at it from a point of like, if I didn't give up two runs, that's a tied game, and we're looking at continuing playing and having a chance to win. Uh, and that's unfortunately where where we're at right now. An emotional night, a great first step for Liam Hendricks. The Royals played the Cardinals on Monday, and the Royals pitching staff, which started with an opener, and Mike Myers, former Cardinals, followed with six innings of hitless relief. This was a sound in the eighth inning with a no hitter intact. Right-handed pitcher, right-handed batter, and a line shot left field, and the Cardinals have their first base runner. And now, for the first time in a couple of hours, this capacity crowd is making some noise. Yeah, so the Royals go on to win this game 7 to nothing. Twins, Astros, and Jose Altuve came to the plate in the bottom of the seventh with the Astros losing 4-1. to 
Stewart ready. Runners lead the pitch. Swing and a drive out toward left field and deep. Going back. Castro, it's gone. Grand slam, Jose Altuve into the first row of the Crawford boxes. Straight away left and Altuve circles the bases, a slam, and the Astros have the lead. Roxy Bernstein, ESPN Radio. But you know what? In the top of the 10th inning, with a score tied 5-all, this is what happened. Right hand batting, Jeffers two for four. And the pitch is swung on a drill to left, hooking toward the corner. It's gone. First pitch, ambush. Ryan Jeffers, his third of the year. And a two-run blast, and it's 7-5 to five Twins. And that would be the final score. Rays closer Pete Fairbanks landed on the injured list for the second time this season. Uh, this was because his hip locked up while he was warming up in the ninth inning on Sunday. San Diego Padres claimed catcher Gary Sanchez off waivers. Sanchez bouncing from team to team this spring. Padres looking for a jolt of offense from their catching position. The Dodgers faced the Nationals last night. Bobby Miller on the mound. He was excellent, and he found support from J.D. Martinez. One ball, no strikes now to J.D. Martinez, who's been struck out twice tonight. Eighth batter of the inning for the Dodgers. They lead 3-1. to one. The 1-0 is a high fly ball to right center field. Paul going back to the wall. He looks up, and it is gone! A three-run home run for J.D. Martinez. The Dodgers have exploded for a half a dozen runs in the bottom of the fifth, and they now lead it 6-1. to one. And that would be the final score. It looks like Bobby Miller, who's been so impressive so far in the big leagues, is going to start on Sunday Night Baseball this weekend against the Yankees. Mike Soroka returned to the mound for the Atlanta Braves for the first time, his first outing in over a 1,000 days. It didn't go well. And the 0-1 delivery now, and here it is, and Noda hits a deep drive into right, going back in the corner, a long run, and that's going to be gone! Ryan Noda hooks a three-run homer, dead right field, and the A's take a 4-1 lead. And the Oakland Athletics beat the Atlanta Braves 7-2. Boy, if you lose to Oakland these days, it must feel like 10 losses, a missed opportunity. Cubs faced the Rays last night. Marcus Stroman was on the mound at Wrigley Field, and he was outstanding. Here comes the 2-1 pitch on the way to Franco. Bouncing ball to first. This could do it. Ball game over. Cubs win. Marcus Stroman holds up his hands. Looking at the crowd, now gets a handshake and a bear hug from Tucker Barnhart. A complete game, one-hit shutout by Marcus Stroman. The second career shutout for him and his fourth Major League complete game. That was Pat Hughes on the Cubs radio network. Guardians, Orioles, Logan Allen was outstanding. Now the lefties, one-two. Swing and a miss. Got him with a fastball. Ten strikeouts for Logan Allen. And that'll wrap up his day, his best in the bigs. Seven shutout innings of three-hit baseball and ten strikeouts. Cleveland wins five to nothing. That from Tom Hamilton, WTAM 1100. Pirates lost to the Giants 14-4. to Austin Slater jump-started the Giants early in the game. Home run challenge. And there's a high drive deep right center field. Way back there, still going. And that's one into the books. 
Write him a check. Austin Slater with a two-run homer into the Pirates' bullpen, and the Giants have made this a five-run inning. John Miller on KNBR. The Yankees were in Seattle yesterday. Aaron Judge got it done at the plate. High drive, left field, going back, Kelnick on the track at the wall, leaps. That ball is gone. Another home run for Judge. A solo shot. Yankees lead, 9-4. And he got it done in the field. High fly ball, deep right. Backing up Judge. He's on the track. He's at the wall. He leaps. And he makes the play. Oh, what a night for Aaron Judge. Took a home run away from Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Judge. We're going to be talking about Liam Hendricks with June Lee coming up in a moment. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the NBA Finals are set. The Miami Heat are going to be playing the Denver Nuggets and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse and the Low Post. Have you covered? They're going to have multiple episodes out this week, episodes after every NBA Finals game. You can check them out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now or on YouTube. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Jun Lee covers baseball for ESPN, which means that he was watching like the rest of us. Uh, what was going on with Liam Hendricks? So cool. Uh, and I mentioned at the top of the show, June, that you know, I think part of the reaction is because of the type of person that Liam Hendricks is. Yeah, I mean, he's just such a beloved personality, I think, among fans, especially just because of how it's outspoken he's been. He's always one of those guys uh, that us as reporters love where you kind of go to him and you know that you're going to get exactly what he thinks and what he thinks is usually pretty interesting on top of that. And I think when you consider his story too, like the fact that he's one of the few baseball players who's come from Australia, he has had this kind of unconventional path to where he's gone to and turned into one of the best relievers in baseball. It's hard not to root for him given everything he's gone through the last uh, six months, especially. Doesn't it feel like that when you talk to Liam Hendricks, like you're, he's speaking to you the way that he would speak to anybody. Like it doesn't ever, you go up, you, there's a natural thing that I'll give you, you know, we're going to talk about Aaron Judge in a moment. Aaron Judge, you can feel him brace himself for your questions. You know, he thinks of himself as a public figure. And I'm, I don't mean this as a criticism. I really mean it as an observation. And he understands he's a public figure. A lot of people are going to hang on every word he says. He weighs every word really carefully. Uh, and then he gives you his answer. In fact, he actually, when you ask Aaron Judge a question, you know this, he pauses for a second. It's a, it's a, you know, something they probably talked to him in media training. 
and he thinks about what he's going to say, and then he says it. Well, Liam, you feel like that he speaks to you the way that he does when he picks up his coffee at the coffee shop on his way to the ballpark, the, the, the barista there, uh, and, and any fan he runs into. It feels like he speaks to everybody the same way. Yeah, because and you make an interesting point, because like with a lot of people that we talk to in our industry, you know, the first time you talk to them, maybe they're a little bit you know, hesitant to kind of share their full personality. Like with someone like Judge, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Buster, but uh, whenever at least most of the people on the Yankees beat when they've talked to Aaron Judge in the past, at the end of almost every single interview, he winks at them just to make sure that there's like a little sprinkle on top. He has, you know, you have a good experience with him because he's not someone who talks a lot. And so when you do talk to him, he wants to make sure that like you're having uh, kind of the Aaron Judge experience. You know, a guy like Liam Hendricks, uh, you expect just given his reputation at this point, you kind of expect him to be the same with everybody, as, as you said. Um, and when you're approaching a guy for the first time, you know, sometimes for me, at least, uh, there's just a little bit of anxiety. Like, oh, sometimes like a guy's public personality is not necessarily, you know, aligned with who he is when he talks to reporters. Uh, and Liam Hendricks is one of those guys where it's like, what you see is what you get. And that's kind of exactly what you want when you're talking to a guy in, in a clubhouse. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I do think it's interesting. I, you know, I went on uh, Jesse Rogers uh, show this weekend in Chicago on radio. And when you look at the American league central, I think the white Sox are going to come back and win that thing. Like, and I, I heard it with folks with other teams and they're, you know, just mentioning the talent on that roster and now getting this emotional jolt of Hendricks coming back and all-star closer to what, you know, should be an excellent pitching staff. It feels like they're slowly putting it together in part because no one is going to run away in that division. Yeah. I mean, I hot take buster is one of my favorite forms of buster. Uh, I mean, I, when you look at the, when you look at the white Sox, this is a team over the course of the last three seasons that I have picked at one point, I think to win the world series, like this is still one of the most talented rosters in baseball. Uh, Luis Robert is having one of his best seasons in the big leagues. Uh, and then you look at the rest of that roster as well. Like a guy like Yohan Moncada is not having the season that you would necessarily expect out of a guy of that level of talent. Uh, this, this is a roster that we've seen in the past, you know, between Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, uh, Lance Lynn is getting older, but you know, we, we've had guys in this rotation who've been among the best pitchers in baseball in the past. And so, you know, for me, I, I've looked at the White Sox the last couple of seasons and I, I've been wondering like where this team would be if they had hired someone other than Tony La Russa over the course of the last couple of seasons. Because, you know, there's been some people at least whispering on baseball saying that maybe the White Sox missed their window. Maybe their window is the last two to three seasons. And, you know, having La Russa there kind of helped them miss their window. Um, but you look at the Central, it is wide open as always, just because I don't think the gap between the best team in that division and the worst team in the, that division is that large. I'm not sure as, uh, if I would go as, as far as you to say that they're going to win that division. Um, but the pieces are at least there, just given the level of talent on that roster. Like Eloy Jimenez has still never had that enormous season that people expected when he came up from the minor league. So, you know, I'm not all the way there with you, but I can see where you're at least coming from. Yeah. And I think I got there after watching last weekend the Guardians. Uh, who I picked to win the division before the season started, I thought, oh, man, their offense is so far away. Like, they, they, it's not like they need one hitter to perform better. They need, like, five guys to perform better. And I don't know if they're necessarily going to get there, which is why I think eventually the White Sox, you know, find their way to win the division, much as I think the Cardinals, you know, those two teams in very forgiving divisions for sure. Uh, speaking of, you know, the window to win, we'll talk about the Padres in a moment. But before we get to that, 
Uh, Aaron Judge, an incredible night last night. Aaron Boone talked about maybe the best athletic performance he's ever seen from anybody in a given game. Uh, first off, I'd say this. You know, Michael Harris on Sunday Night Baseball make an incredible catch against the wall, uh, takes a home run away. It appeared from Kyle Schwarber. And you always have that moment when you have those uh, home run stealing grabs where you you look at the replay and wonder, okay, would that really have been a home run? Like a Michael Harris's catch, amazing catch. I, I still kind of think it might have hit the top of the wall. And then with Aaron Judge, when he does that, there's never any doubt it would have been a home run. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so big, you know, it's 6'7", 282. And that catch he made last night, it looked like his arms reaching like three feet above the wall. Yeah, it would have been a home run if he hadn't made that play. Yeah, and I was talking about this last week with uh, Disha Thosar, a buddy of mine who works at Fox. And we're talking about how Aaron Judge is 6'7". And throughout the course of baseball history, we've seen guys who are around his height before. You know, Adam Dunn, Richie Sexton. The thing that separates Judge, I think, makes him absolutely incredible is just the amount of athleticism he brings to that position despite kind of being at his height. Like, the tall guys that we've seen in baseball have sometimes not been the most coordinated guys. And the thing that really separates Judge and is going to make him, uh, you know, makes him a guy that is on a path to go to the Hall of Fame at some point if he stays healthy is the fact that despite being as tall as he is, he's such an incredible hitter, like, it's hard to expect a guy who's as tall, has as big a swing, as big a strike zone as Aaron Judge has to hit 302, 408, 679, uh, which is his 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 stat line on, on May 30th. Um, you know, normally we've seen throughout the course of baseball history, guys who are that tall swing and miss a ton. And Aaron Judge definitely does swing and miss, but he hits for such a high average on top of that. He's such a great hitter. And for him to have the athleticism just generally to play the outfield, sometimes center field as well as he does. Uh, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, this is this is the first time we've ever seen a guy like this in baseball history. Uh, and, and seeing him just do what he does on a night-to-night basis, even as someone who is a Red Sox fan, you just kind of have to like sit back and just be like, he's special. Like there's there's nothing else like him uh, in, in the entire baseball universe. So we had a conversation in the pod last week about uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. And we sort of had fun that if you were throw all the players into a free agent pool and the goal was to win a championship this year, there's no doubt the first player who would be taken would be Shohei Otani because he can help your team two ways. And, and so, uh, you know, Doug Glanville and others are like, we conceded that. And then the, the debate was, okay, who's the second player? Uh, I landed on Ronald Acuna Jr. He landed on Ronald Acuna Jr., but I thought about this, you know, since then, there's also no doubt to me that if you were to simply ask the question, which team looks the most different without an individual player, it would be the Yankees and Aaron Judge. You know, and I remember talking to someone in the organization right after he signed that deal after the overnight negotiations. And this person acknowledged to me like, like our team without Aaron Judge on it. Oh, my God. And we got a glimpse of that earlier this season when he was on the injured list. And all of a sudden, the Yankees lineup doesn't look close to the same as it was. And, you know, that the firepower that he brings offensively, the leadership that he brings. If the question is, which player is most valuable to his team? I think he might be that guy. And I think, think that's I think that's one of those things that doesn't show up in the stats. Like, yes. you can look at wins above replacement, right? Uh, and that captures like the the home runs, the fielding ability, all that stuff as best as those stats can. 
But I've, we've seen this with Judge, and I think we've actually seen this with Wander Franco in Tampa Bay throughout the course yeah. of the last couple of seasons where you take that dynamic bat out of the middle of the lineup, and it affects the way that pitching staffs approach every single other hitter on that lineup because you know when you have a bat as dynamic as Aaron Judge in the middle of the lineup, suddenly you know pitching to a guy like Giancarlo Stanton or whoever the Yankees three hitter is or whoever is behind or in front of Aaron Judge uh, is suddenly a whole different set of risk that you're factoring into. Like, do I want to try to go after Aaron Judge? Do I want to try to go after you know Harrison Bader? Like, if you were around Aaron Judge, you're going to see way better pitches than you would with any other cleanup hitter or, or, or just dynamic power hitter in the middle of that lineup. Uh, I, I would say that the same has been true with, with Tampa Bay and Wander Franco as well, but there there's guys like that around baseball, you know, Juan Soto when he's at his best Ronald Acuna jr. When they're in Laddie, the middle of your lineup, Laddie jr. hundred percent when they're in the middle of your lineup, it changes the way that everyone else plays as well, too, because they're just getting better, uh, better pitches to hit. I think we've seen that this year, especially in Tampa Bay as well. Uh, guys like Brandon Lau getting better pitches to hit. Uh, Yandy Diaz, they're all having better seasons because Wander is in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, we're seeing that with the Yankees as well when Judge was out. You know, Judge being in the lineup makes everyone else better just because uh, pitchers have to approach pitching to the Yankees completely differently. Another guy who's in the middle of that, I think, uh, Adley Rutschman. Uh, of the Orioles, like the Orioles, if you took Adley Rutschman away from that team, tell you can chime in here. Uh, uh, if you take Adley Rutschman out of the Orioles lineup, that team looks so different. And that's the way it feels with Judge and the Yankees. Buster, I can confirm if you removed Adley Rutschman from the Baltimore Orioles, it would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going there. You know, just just for the record, it was Taylor who said that, not me. Okay, about the Orioles, I was complimenting the Orioles and Adley Rutsch. <laughs> Couple other things for you before you go. Let's talk about the Padres. Uh, you know, they signed Gary Sanchez, trying to increase their offense at catcher. It, it does feel like, and you see the lineup changes that Bob Melvin is making on a regular basis now. He's trying different combinations. That dynamic front four that we talked about just has not come together. I was looking at their numbers over the weekend. I think uh, going into the games on Sunday, they were 10th in ERA out of 30 teams. It really comes down to their major stars not performing. And not only, you know, the, the quartet at the top of the lineup, Manny Machado was not playing well before he get, was placed on the injured list. Juan Soto got off to a slow start. Xander Bogart started incredibly hot, and he's really come down uh, since then. Jake Cronenworth has gotten off to a bad start, you know, an all-star uh those guys have to perform better. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, and I think this one stat sums up where the Padres are right now. The Padres have scored three or fewer runs in 51% of their games, and they've lost 93% of those games when they've scored three or fewer runs. It means that when they aren't scoring, the pitching is also not keeping up, and they're just not scoring runs in general. I mean, the B-war leader among position players for the Padres right now uh, as much as I love him as a fellow Korean, uh, is is Hassan Kim, and that's not You're kidding. That's You're not kidding. No, I'm not. This oh is my what God. the San Diego Padres. I are didn't right know now. that. And Hassan King's having a great season defensively, but I don't think the Padres, when they built this roster in the offseason, expected him to be leading their wins above replacement. And then you look at the pitching side too. Josh Hader is the B-War leader on that side as well. And when a reliever is leading your pitching staff in wins above replacement, as good as Josh Hader can be at his best, it's usually not the greatest sign for how good your rotation is. You look at Joe Musgrove, 
Blake Snell, both of those guys have five uh, ERAs, ERAs above five right now. Uh, Michael Walker, who is signed to be a back of the rotation starter, is their best starting pitcher at the current moment. This is not what the Padres uh, projected when they went into the offseason, basically won the offseason for the gajillionth time at this point. Um, this is kind of what Padres fans have come to expect uh, with this AJ Peller regime at this point, which is the Padres do great in the offseason, everything looks great on paper. And then for some reason, once you hit the regular season, things start to fall apart for reasons you can't predict at this point. Yeah. And this is uh, Carl and I had this conversation the other day about the offseason, which the Red Sox added Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford. And we all talked about the depth in their lineup. I feel like if you're anointed <laughs> as the winter, the winner of the winter, you should just call it off. You know, <laughs> never mind. We're not going to play. It, it just is, it's not going to work out, you know, because we won the winter. Because whoever, te- whichever team wins the winter, never seems to win the season. Give me one minute on the Oakland ballpark situation. Yeah. I think one of the fascinating things about, this whole situation to me is that it really differs from the way that the golden Knights came in who were an expansion team. And there wasn't a sports team in Vegas at that point. So there was a kind of a a hunger for sports in Las Vegas and the Vegas Knights by being as good as they were immediately kind of captured the zeitgeist of that city. And so I think that the A's differ from them in that way. Then you look at the Oakland Raiders, the Oakland Raiders came in uh, and had this already historic established fan base. That is not what the Oakland athletics have at all. At this point, you have a fan base that's been totally alienated by the ownership group, by the way that they've built this team. And so I'm not sure that those fans are going to root for the Las Vegas athletics or whatever they end up becoming uh, because they've been so alienated at this point. So you're building this stadium right now. There's not really this community that has existed around the Golden Knights because the Golden Knights were good immediately and were this expansion group and the Raiders who have this historic, you know, this historic team. That's not what's going to happen with the athletics. And, you know, there's all this public funding that's going to the stadium. And we've seen year after year that fund public funding going into the stadiums often doesn't work out for the taxpayer in terms of the payoff for an incredibly, incredibly long time. And given the athletic situation and also just like how hot it is in Vegas, like it's a different situation when you're going to a hockey rink or a football stadium, that's kind of air conditioned. I'm really curious to see what the turnout is actually like in Las Vegas. Cause I'm not con- totally convinced that it's going to be that dramatically bigger than what it is in Oakland right now. No, and I'm not totally convinced that they're necessarily leaving. I still wonder if there's some bit of leverage play going on here because the deal that is being proposed in in Las Vegas is not really that much different than what they would have gotten in Oakland. Uh, and And I do hope this, that the athletic situation this year on the field is so bad that it finally embarrasses the owners into addressing the tanking that goes on. Because, you know, as I say, this I, I sent this out on a tweet yesterday. But this is like, uh, for me, if you, if uh, you know, the, the, the board of directors of a chain of restaurants, you know, they had a high standard generally for their restaurants. And then you have that one restaurant, which is rat infested uh, under their name, right? Because it's part of their product. Uh, if that compels them to find some way to insist on a quality control and like, Look, we just can't have this. And I've always thought this. I wrote this, I think, back in 2013 or 2014. To design failure in this way, under the guise that you're selling a major league product, to me, is not that much different 
than what the 1919 Blackhawks did. If you intentionally design a team and you know that they're going to be awful and yet you're selling tickets at major league prices, that 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 is right on the cusp of something really ugly. Yeah, and I think one of the uh, kind of fascinating things about the situation is too is that when I talk to guys around baseball, and you know as well as anyone that players so rarely will talk smack about how bad another team is, just given yes. the politics and the etiquette around baseball. When I've talked to pe- other people on other teams about the athletics, they're always like, no offense to the athletics, but they have they feel kind of free reign to go after them because that's they feel like the athletics just aren't on the same level playing field as everyone else. And so when baseball players who just are normally as polite as they can be in public, especially with reporters, when talking about other teams, unless there's some sort of like, you know, Blue Jays, Yankees type of situation. Uh, it's it's very weird to hear players talking about the athletics the way that they do. Uh, just and feel sorry for them. And feeling sorry yeah. for them. Yes. Players. Yes. And it's just, it's one of those things that's just like, you just never see this in baseball because that's just kind of the etiquette and the culture of the sport. And when people feel free reign to just kind of go after a team the way they do with the athletics, uh, they're, they're, they don't even blame the players at this point, obviously, just because of the way that the roster has been constructed. You know, you've got like, you know, Brent Rooker and Ramon Laureano, you know, doing as best as they can. But there, you know, there's only so much you can do just given the construction of the roster. Exactly. All right, June, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. This was another segment put out by the White Sox social media. And you'll hear the voice of Liam Hendricks talking about his journey. It's a lot bigger than just me. I always have to take a step back and realize it's not about the timeline you're at, it's about what you're going through and, and what you can represent to a lot of people. That positive mentality, the will to kind of push through everything, and that's if I can impart any wisdom on anything, is just making sure that I can be the best version of myself to make sure that I can help out anybody who's going through anything like this at all. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer from MLB.com. Sarah, this week, it feels like this is going to be Sarah Langs week. We had to just, you know, all across baseball, it's like tweets being sent out by MLB. There's all kinds of stuff planned. We got a... Uh, an E60 that's going to drop on Friday. You've got a first-person piece in the work at ESPN.com this week. And I was telling uh, a friend about how 
in one hand, I think it's great that everyone is celebrating you this week. And on the other hand, I thought, I bet you, Sarah, it just can't wait for the week to be over with. I texted Mandy Bell last night on Monday night and said, I'm already tired of me. <laughs> so a hundred percent. I'm so grateful for all of the support. And I'm so glad to see Karen Day. You know, the fact that people are already talking about it and celebrating it, starting with last night with a tweet from MLB Network. And um, I've heard from a handful of team uh, broadcasts and everything. This is all outstanding. But yes, I am. I am tired of me, so I apologize to everybody else who will also be tired of me. If you aren't already, you'll certainly be by Friday night. Oh, well, hang in there. I, you know, by the time I get to next Monday morning, after I tape with you in the podcast, I think you just might turn off your phone, social media, the whole thing. You know, as we uh, review the conversation over the weekend. All right, let's get to the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 100. So on our Sunday baseball game on Sunday, uh, Spencer Strider was so much fun to watch. Obviously gave up a few runs there, but he really got rolling with the strikeouts, especially as the game went on. You know, I think through the first three innings, he had two strikeouts, and I'm sitting here having prepared all of these strikeout notes thinking, eh. Maybe not. It's okay. He's still pitching well. And then he struck out the side in the fourth. And en route to that with his first strikeout there, he reached 100 strikeouts on the season. He did that in just 61 innings. That is the fewest innings by any starter in the season to reach 100 strikeouts since the mound was moved to its current distance in 1893. And with a note like that, you know that the prior instances are all going to be recent. But to me, that almost makes it even more impressive. He beat out Jacob Dragom in 2021, which was the best start to a season we had ever seen. He got there at 61 and two-thirds innings. So Spencer Strider beat him by two outs, two fewer outs together. I thought that was absolutely incredible. Number two. Number two is 10. So speaking of some fun pitching performances, the other night Shohei Otani had 10 strikeouts and stole a base. And of course, this is the type of thing that especially right now, uh, only he can do, currently he can, is the only one who can do it by rules. But even previously, a very Shohei Otani thing. This was the second time in his career that he had had at least 10 strikeouts in the game and stolen the base. The other was Lash July, also against the Marlins, who he was facing this weekend. So two games like that is tied with Max Scherzer and Nolan Ryan were the second most such games since at least 1906, mine only Bob Gibson, who did it three times. And I have to say, I tweeted this out, and everyone was getting a kick out of the Max Scherzer inclusion. I went back and watched all three of his career stolen bases, 
Yes, three stolen bases. One was in a two-hit shutout with like 11 strikeouts. The other was seven scoreless with 10 strikeouts. And the other game, he had nine strikeouts. So it is pretty fun to see him stealing off some unsuspecting pitchers. Number one. Number one is 128. So that is the Rangers run differential right now. Plus 128, they're ahead of the Rays. Bird thinks that 20 to 1 game that the Rays lost uh, about a week ago, week plus. Plus 128 through 53 games is the 10th highest run differential we have seen since 1900 by any team. And I was talking to Mandy Bell about this yesterday. 10 sounds like, all right, we don't need to see all the teams in front. Maybe I should qualify it, say, since 1940, then they would be third. But the teams ahead of them are all really, really notable. So sometimes being 10th is still amazing. I'm just going to read off the teams that have them, not tell you the numbers. We have the 1929 A's, 1902 Pirates, before the World Series even existed, so they didn't even get a chance to win it. 1912 Giants, the 2016 Cubs, 74 Dodgers. 1936 Yankees, 1905 Giants, and 1932 Yankees. Even if you don't remember the exact specifics of any of those seasons, those are kind of years and teams that go without saying. So for the Rangers to be on that list is really, really cool. All right. I know you well enough to know you got a lump in your throat uh, last night with Liam Hendricks. Uh, with him coming back. Give me the moment that got you, Sarah, because for me, it's funny that it was, you know, the emotions of seeing him run onto the field and the response from the crowd. It was actually the night before when the White Sox sent that video out where teammates were talking about Liam and welcome back, Liam. That got me. That was amazing. For me, it was after they introduced him before the game and they made the donation from White Sox Charities and he was there with his wife Christy and they were hugging and they just had that moment and I really identify that that feel with that that feeling that you're in this and in a fight with someone and being able to have that moment hey we did it hey you've been here I mean I know Jason Benetti was talking during the broadcast last night about how easy it is to sit here and see him throwing a strike for his first pitch and saying yeah of course he was going to make it back it was a beautiful cancer but in the moment, they had no idea. And he was talking about how his wife had talked about how she would wake up in the middle of the night where she wouldn't have her husband anymore. So just to see them have that moment really got me. And I do have to say, it was an amazing day across baseball in terms of returns. We had Royce Lewis coming back a year to the date after Terry's ACL and homering. And Michael Shiroka after two Achilles tears making back obviously cancer is on another level compared to those things but some really resilient guys were out there yesterday it was really really cool to see all right 1029 days as you sent me that note the other day for mike soroka since the last time that he pitched yeah sarah some advice for you 
block yourself on social media since you're sick of yourself because you're going to be all <laughs> over the baseball world this week. Oh my gosh. Whenever I see my face, let alone hear my voice. And I've always been this way. I mean, ever since I started coming on the podcast with you, I can't listen to my own voice. That goes back to like 2016. So yeah, I will find a way. And again, my apologies to the viewing and listening public. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. I'll talk Thanks. to you later in the week. Thanks so much for having me, Wester. Here's a feature about Lou Gehrig and about Lou Gehrig Day in the year that he was honored at Yankee Stadium. You're going to hear the voice of Shirley Povich, the longtime sports writer for the Washington Post. Give a listen. On May 2nd, 1939, after playing in 2,130 straight games, the Iron Horse Lou Gehrig benches himself. Lou's statistics through April are the worst of his career. He has just one RBI and a 143 batting average. Two weeks after his benching, Garrick is diagnosed with a fatal disease ALS and is given three years to live. Upon hearing the news, the Yankees schedule Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day for July 4th. Sports writer Shirley Povich recalls the scene. The day was advertised as a tribute to Lou. There was such an outpouring of fans that every seat at Yankee Stadium was filled. And, and, and official after official and player after player of the Yankees came along and spoke into the microphone, spoke of the great affection from Lou and what he meant to them and Lou standing by uh, uh, actually stooped as he was. Uh, uh, I saw that day, if you talk about sadness, in any gathering. That's the day I saw photographers cry. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. Two years after his speech at age 37, Gehrig succumbs to his illness. His time was cut short, but his legacy will live forever. Buster, that gem was from GSL's Baseball's Untold Stories. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster, Bleacher Tweets for a Tuesday. Be good to each other, writes in. At what point do the Padres become sellers? Seems like they could do undo some of the damage to the farm by trading Soto with a year and a half left on his contract. So it's still really early. Let's remember that in 2019, uh, the Philadelphia, excuse me, the Washington Nationals had the worst bullpen in baseball and they wound up winning the World Series. And in 2021, the Atlanta Braves are sort of slogging along. And then they took off with those trades they made uh, right at the deadline, adding all those hitters, and they wound up winning the World Series. And last year, Phillies were firing their manager, Joe Girardi, about this time. So it's still relatively early. But I have thought about that uh, question, whether or not at some point it might be smart to take offers for Soto uh, if they don't think they're going to be able to sign him. P.K. Steinberg writes in, who do the Phillies miss more this year, Gene Segura or Reese Hoskins? 
Reese Hoskins. Uh, we were talking with Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, before the Sunday night game, and he mentioned uh, the Phillies this year, their lineup, they are second in baseball in terms of chase rates out of the strike zone. And he mentioned that Reese Hoskins was one of these guys who would grind out plate appearances and really set a tone for that whole lineup. Neil Chappell writes in winning percentage feels like an, a fairly unimportant and often irrelevant stat when looking at standings. Why or wouldn't run differential be more interesting? No, uh, no, because uh, then you'd have teams like, you know, <laughs> then a 20 to one blowout of the athletics would have more weight than, say, taking two or three from a big series against your division rival. I, I think winning percentage is totally important. That's what determines who wins a division. Andrew Stout writes in last week. You talked about the prettiest left-handed swings in the game today, and you didn't even mention Matt Olson. His swing is so pretty. I want to ask it to prom. Oh, <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Matt Olson is a terrific player. He might wind up leading the majors in, in home runs this year. It's his swing is not close in its pure beauty to Ken Griffey Jr. Taylor, Sarah, you going to back me up on that? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Bryce Harper is a great player. Bryce Harper has a violent swing. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the prettiest swing. Matt Olson does not have a pretty swing like Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> well, you're comparing him to Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, who? how can you? It's incomparable, I'd say. Let's go to the yeah. last tweet for today. Dan Rice at Dan the Man Rice 2. He writes in the other day on the Baseball Tonight podcast with Doug Glanville. You were discussing your top list of players in baseball right now. You often discuss how Trout is on pace to be the greatest player ever, but didn't mention him. Where would you rank Mike? He's a top 10 player, um, but I, I don't think he's in the conversation right now for among the top three. I do think that is Otani, Acuna, Judge. There you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games tonight. We'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah June, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.